0: All right, let me grab your attention again. We are um, in a series here at Hope, and I'm excited today to continue this discussion as we kind of started here uh, with with our bubbles. Um, But we're in a series that we're calling Not Just Another Story, and we're looking at uh, these moments, and most of these have been in the Gospels, right, of Jesus sharing. He refers to other stories, and sometimes actually reframes them or gives us uh, an understanding of them, why they point us to the kingdom of God. And many times we're just being reminded of what the kingdom of God is really like, of what it really looks like. And that um, he often kind of twists that story, he doesn't twist it, but explains to us how maybe we've twisted it. And so today we're looking at this story um, of looking back. And so Jesus refers to a couple of pretty classic moments uh, in, in God's people and, uh, we're going to look at that today, and, and what, this, uh, what Jesus is calling us to, I think, and even encouraging us with today. I was very encouraged by this passage and what it looks like to have the kingdom of God in our midst. Uh, and so if you want to open your Bibles, we're in Luke 17. Uh, we're going to read through the passage uh, real quick here, and then I'm just going to walk through it, unpack it for us, and we'll take some time to continue to worship here together. Uh, but this is Luke 17. Uh, we'll start here in verse 20. This is right after this account that happens where uh, these lepers are sent and, uh, to go to the temple and they are healed And one of, on their way and one of them comes back to Jesus and worships Jesus and the rest don't. And Jesus says, where, where are the rest? Uh, and this one leper says, well, I'm coming back to the one who healed me. Uh, I think it's a really cool story. So knowing that, we're gonna come back to that story, but knowing that this is the next thing that happens in the book of Luke. Once I'm being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to the disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man and this day will be like lightning that flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building but the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day no one will be uh, on that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked him. And he replies, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Ooh, lots of things. I'm excited to walk through this together. We're gonna to start at the top. This is a passage we just got to read with our friends up here. Um, He's asked by the Pharisees, when will the kingdom of God come? This is a similar question that we've seen throughout the book of Luke. Now, we've looked at some of our other stories this summer. They're asking again, well, then Jesus, where is this kingdom of God? Or where is this Messiah? Or where is this thing that God is going to usher in? And when will it happen? Where will it happen? And he says, there might be thoughts that it's going to happen over there or over there. It's in your midst. And some versions of this actually say the kingdom of God is in you or in the midst of you. It's a passage where Jesus is, is saying it's right here, like with, within us, around us. I, I love this. This is a common thing. Earlier in Luke, he doesn't always just say, like, it's me. Uh, but this one feels even more like it's, it's right here with you. You've seen an, another amazing thing just happened. And we're still asking this question, where is this kingdom? And A lot of this is right even some of just their history, Of figuring out all the different signs and all the different ways that we have to act or all the different ways, uh, all the things we think we've figured out with whether it's the the number of days or the way that God will come or the way we think God's going to come or what he's going to do when he's here. He's going to maybe overthrow this government. He's going to become the actual just king here on earth. All these things and they don't see that. And so they go, well, that's not happening. So they're not seeing, they're missing it, right? That he's right here in their midst. And so then his disciples say to him, so this is kind of a, the, the larger group, the Pharisees are talking to him, and then he turns to his disciples, which maybe uh, people think maybe this is like just his disciples or maybe he just literally turns and talks to them. Uh, could be the whole whole group is still there or maybe he takes them aside. There's different thoughts on that. But either way, he says to them, the time is coming when you, you will see one of the days of the Son of Man, uh, when, you, when you will long to see it, but you'll not see it. So this phrase, this days of the Son of Man, this is, a phrase that goes way back, right? Old Testament, we hear this, that one day the Son of Man will come and rescue everyone. And so you'll, there'll be days where you long for God to come back, for Him to come and make everything right, to fix those things. And you're going to long for those, and you're not necessarily going to see them. It's a call again that we've seen before Jesus saying that you're going to suffer, uh, and it's it's not just going to be taken away from you. But the Son of Man is coming, but that People are going to say, there he is, or there he is. And in fact, in Jesus' time, some of that's just very literal in that there's other people claiming to be the Messiah, the one who's coming back, or people saying, I'm the one who will fix everything. If you get me into power, then I will fix everything. Not, not much different than what we feel or see today, right? I'm the one, I can be the Savior. He's saying those will come, but please don't go running off to those. The Son of Man will come, and he'll come like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky. When he comes, you'll know it. It's, this isn't going to be like subtle. I think this and this, and he said this. I wonder if he meant, this This is like, if, if you see lightning in the sky, and it lights up your whole sky. We just had this, we just slept through a storm this weekend. And um, we're in Wisconsin, and I remember I woke up, and like the, the windows, you know, were flashing in the middle of the night. And you go like, you, you can't miss that. Like you won't miss this, isn't going to be a subtle thing that you're going to, have to figure out all the right stuff, and only some of you can figure it out. This is going to be clear. It says, but first you're going to suffer many things. Well, he's going to suffer as well as you, but he's going to suffer things and be rejected by this generation. He goes on, it says, Just as it was written in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying. So he's saying people are doing these things. They're living their life. They're doing these. Uh, kind of normal things they're moving along and then it's going to happen it's not there's not going to be a great build up necessarily to this thing it's going to happen and it's going to change things and just like in the days of Lot the story of Lot uh, again he highlights here that people are eating and drinking they're buying and selling planting and building he's saying they're just living their life this is what daily life looks like and, and then in a moment they're just living their life and then everything changes and in both those cases, both of those stories are ones where it, lives end. Judgment comes from sin and turning from God instead of turning to God. These people's lives end; they're destroyed. It says both of those right. The flood came and destroyed them. Fire and sulfur comes down and destroys them. He said he's, he's giving a, a serious warning here, friends. The the Son of Man is coming, and when this happens, you're going to know it and and you have the choice then to decide to turn or not. And look at these stories. We've seen this before. People turn from God and it's destruction for them. And they turn from God and it's destruction for them. Well, what are those stories? Well, this is a quick Genesis 6, the story of Noah. The Lord saw great, how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, that every in- inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's pretty intense, right? The human heart, the heart, the desires of the heart were were evil, or they weren't the Lord's desires. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. God is very troubled by this. He regrets that he made people. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created, and with them, the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, if I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so God sees a place where people have turned away from him, uh, this is sometimes the scene we think about when we think of like just real bad, when it gets real bad. I don't know if it's that that actual, that much different. Because sometimes turning from God doesn't necessarily look real evil, but God knows these hearts have become very evil, very much turned away from him. And he has just found favor in this person named Noah. And we know the story, right? Then he calls Noah to build this ark, and he builds the ark, and he puts elephants and giraffes in it, it looks like. <laughs> Uh, those animals, and they, uh, God kind of resets, kind of recreates the world. He doesn't make a promise, though. He says, that's not going to happen again. And then Jesus in this story, right, is saying, actually, I'm going to refer to another story where the same thing happens. Again, people decide to turn away from God. In the story uh, of Lot, uh, these angels come to Lot and his family with the coming, and they uh, encourage, they come to the actual city and they see the same evil happening, right? People turning from God and what that looks like in a city. Um, and with the coming dawn, they, the angels actually stay the night there. They have to, they have to kind of hold up in their house. So people are trying to get into the house and they hold up in the house with them. And in the morning, these angels, God, right, comes to them. With the coming of the dawn, the angels urge Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here and you will be, uh, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. interesting, it's like the same term almost as they use when they describe the flood. There's a sweeping away of it. The city will be punished for their sins because that's what what happens when we sin. It's treason and so there's punishment, there's consequence to it. The angels are saying, kind of like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna pull you and your family out of this in a smaller sense, right? Not the whole world, but the smaller I'm going to pull you out of this. So the angel urges them to leave. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. This is the part of the story I actually don't, didn't remember. When I reread this, I went, how, how cool is this? God actually has to like pull them out of the city. They actually want, there's hesitation. They kind of want to still stay in the life they have there. It should be understandable in the sense that that's where everything is, right? Their friends and their livelihood and their home and, and their family and like this is our life though. This is everything we do and, and are here for. And they say, well, you gotta get out of here. This destruction's coming. He's trying to rescue them from that. And they actually have to lead them out of safety. God actually does, comes and pulls them out of it. I love that. It's so so true for us too. As soon as they had been brought uh, as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives, don't look back, don't stop. Anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. And this is a story where Lot pleads for, like, can, there, can we go to this little town uh, that's called Zor, which means like little place? Can we go there? Can, you, can we save that place because we'll run there? And so they say yes. Um, and so they run off. So again, God has come and says there's consequence to sin and he and it brings it, but he, he rescues these people. This picture of God rescuing his, his people. In both of these, and Jesus says, the Son of Man will come quickly and there's a, a moment where th- this decision has to be made. Do, do I s- stay in life, in my life? I look to other things for satisfaction in life. Do I continue working so that I would be preserved or do I allow God to pull me out of this and preserve me? So it says, it'll, it'll be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one would is on the housetop with possession to the side, should go down and get him so he's saying hey there's a the son of Man's coming there's a moment where you have to make that choice right where we're, who are we turning to for life and he's kind of giving these examples can you picture someone on their house and Jesus says come and they say well, I got to get all my stuff I need my life though he says no it's this moment just like Lot had God has to pull him through he says remember Lot's wife he like goes back to that story don't you remember how that story goes with Lot's wife, it's not good. She turns back. She turns to salt. She looks back to that to the life, those things, and it doesn't doesn't keep her eye on the thing that actually preserves her. And Jesus says this uh, verse, this line that many of us maybe know is of one that we maybe hold on to some days when we're not sure what to do. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. And you see, I'm, I'm trying to tell you, you're trying to preserve your life on your own. You're trying to keep it going. You're trying to, to build it. You found these things that are sometimes even good things, but, but they've they're they're the things you think preserve your life. And in fact, leaving those, losing those, actually is what gains you life in me. The Son of Man is right here in your midst. And this is what. I tell you that on that night, two people will be in one bed and one will be taken. He's saying even people in the same situation, in the same life, they they get to choose this, which one are they actually resting their life in? And then he says this phrase, right? This thing about vultures. We're gonna get back to the vulture thing. That's just, I I think it's actually really encouraging. This passage though, um, here in Luke 17 uh, is one that 's been interpreted in different ways, right Interpreter, sometimes this is one that 's used to talk about the end times, like the, the Son of Man will come back one day, and that day are you ready? This is one I know uh, friends who shared that grew up in the church. This is one that was used when they remember being a teenager and saying like, "Are you ready? Because if Jesus comes back and you 're not willing to leave your house top, then you 're done. You're not going with Jesus. It's one that can cause fear because you go, am am I in a right place? Is Jesus going to come and I'm going to be okay? It's one that we can point to for some interpretations, the end. It's also one that has pointed maybe even that Jesus talking about this moment that changes the world, which is coming soon in the Gospels where Jesus is actually put on a cross and there's an earthquake and the temple is torn and uh, like a storm. It's almost like there's this moment of lightning that flashes that changes everything. In that moment, will you look to that as, as your hope that Christ has died and risen so that you wouldn't be destroyed? Let's look at what happens with Lot. So He refers to, he goes back to this story with Lot's wife. It's Genesis 19, just, just after this other part as they flee. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. The Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord, from the Lord out of the heavens. See, overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all things living in the cities and also the vegetation, the land. Everything feels the wrath, not just people, everything. Creation feels the wrath. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. It's strange, like added part of the story, this moment where she does look back right before this, right, God's, his, his angels, he comes and says, don't look back, R- run away from this. And she still looks back. I'm sure feeling, I want to see if, who's back there. The people I know back there. That's my life. You're taking me from my life to where? To this new place? What's going to happen there? What's going on? To this little place, Zor, and just has to look back. Maybe that's where life comes from. But instead, uh, she turns to salt. Done. Done. Uh, because she just turned back. And Jesus here, again, right, reminds us whoever keeps their life will lose it and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I think he's trying to encourage us here, whether this passage is about the end when he comes back uh, or, or maybe he's pointing to this moment when he'll be on a cross and all things will change in that moment, like lightning flashing. He's saying there's, there's things in life and even in the way he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and he talks about the world of Noah, Those are stories that when we first think of them, we might think, those are just terribly wicked people. And he doesn't say, there's terribly wicked, gross things going on and don't do that. He says, they're just doing the things that you all do all day long. You build, you sell stuff, you eat, you drink, you get married. It's interesting, he just highlights kind of, you're just living your life. These are things that aren't necessarily bad that we wouldn't think of as evil, but they become things in our lives that, that have become Our life They've become the source of our preservation. Those things aren't made to preserve you for all. They aren't made to satisfy your soul. They aren't made to go deep into your heart and and give you all that you need. They're things that are gifts that God has given us and we've turned them, we talk about many times here at Hope, we've turned them to idols, right? They've become gods to us. Whether it's our kids, whether it's food, whether it's drink, whether it's our schedule, whether it's just creating order out of chaos, whether it's just it feels like something's off and there's tension and I just need, this thing helps me feel that way, whether it's spending my time figuring out how to get a kid to behave or a work, something at work to work or a, my marriage to work, well, all those things or just, even I just need to escape all of this, those things become a thing that we think is gonna ultimately preserve life. And He's saying oh, those are things I want you to be able to say. I'm going to let go of because I know the real source of life. I think what's happening here is something that reminded me. This week I got to go on a little motorcycle ride with some friends, and I was reminded of something that has happened to me since the first time I rode. When I was a kid, I rode uh, a, a mini bike with this tiny little bike. Uh, it was like a little dirt bike. It did not look like this, uh, and uh, it was like it, it kind of. Our family friends had it, and it ran in like a. Um, uh, lawnmower engine, so you had to like pull start it, but it was the greatest. It was like a go kart with two wheels and it went way faster. And the first time I ever rode it, I had this big red helmet on and I was like awesome little Drew, if you can imagine me. I think I was maybe middle school. And my dad gave me a quick, like, okay, this is how it works and don't run into stuff. And the first thing I did was took off into this field and my dad yells, Do you see the ditch? And I say, I see the ditch! right? Because there's this big, actually where we lived in Tennessee was uh, like Civil War battlegrounds. So it was actually a cool bonus uh, history here. It was actually like a trench from the Civil War that was in this cool park you went to. So was, I don't know if I was supposed to be riding my mini bike in a Civil War battlefield. <laughs> Probably not. Uh <laughs> riding around and he starts yelling, you see it, right? And I was like, I see it. And he yells, you see it? I say, I see it. He's like, don't hit it. And I was like, I see it. And all I can do is see it. And everything in me is trying to t- turn this thing. And all I can do is look at this bump in the ground, this ditch, and all I can do is drive straight into that ditch and straight up the other side. I remember there was a moment where I was like, oh, I'm like in a half pipe. <laughs> but I had no idea what I was doing. And so I flipped the bike up and I landed on my back. and I had a moment. I thought maybe I was in heaven. I wasn't. That was fine. I probably wasn't going that fast, but it felt like, and he ran over and he said, didn't you see it? I said, that's all I was looking at. I couldn't steer. It's actually, it's actually a real thing that happens when you learn how to ride a motorcycle. It's something that you are trained in to understand. It's why people get an accident sometimes on motorcycles. They'll hit like a pole. And you think, how could you hit a pole? There's all this space around the pole. It's something they call fixed, uh, target fixation. It actually was first talked about um, when they were training pilots. In World War II, they were training fighter and bomber pilots and they would explain that sometimes they would crash into things even though they could see them for a long ways because your focus it gets on this thing and your body can't not go to that thing. It's the thing that happened when I first was riding a motorcycle. I get so focused on an observed object, be it a target or a hazard, that I inadvertently increase my risk of colliding with it. I literally am on a motorcycle and I want to turn left but I keep looking forward and I'm like, my body will not let me turn my motorcycle left and I end up riding up onto my lawn. I remember one of the first times I pulled into my house and my neighbor came out and was like, hey, you all right? <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> Do you know how to ride a motorcycle? I guess not, right? <laughs> it's a real thing that happens. Maybe you've had this happen in your life where you uh, may be driving or something and you go like, I see the thing and you get locked in on it and then you can't not hit it. And so this week, I had a moment of this. I was turning on a motorcycle. I've been driving a motorcycle for a long time, and I thought, oh, this isn't a deal for me. And I could not get my arms to turn, and the more I panicked, the more I looked at the thing that I didn't want to hit, right? And I I had to get myself out of it. And I remember, just turn your head, Drew. I turn my head, and I look at the road where I want to go, and my whole body just turns me to the road. I'm not even thinking about I'm turning. I'm just looking where I want to go, and I start turning. I, and I had a moment. I'm uh, on my motorcycle for a couple hours, thinking about all sorts of things, including this passage, and I went, that's what, that's what we're doing. We have object fixation. We look to something, and even sometimes when we know this isn't the thing that's going to bring me life, I can't get myself to turn from it. It's become the thing that I think will ultimately reduce the chaos in my life, or suffering, or discomfort, or tension in my life. And I keep moving forward and sometimes I move like faster towards it even though I know it's not going to bring me life. Many of these things are good but they aren't going to satisfy my soul. Many of these things are God's even given me and they've turned into a savior for me. I think this is where Jesus, at least one of the things he wants us to consider. The kingdom of God is right in your midst. He's right here. And I keep going, I just got to turn away from the thing and maybe what I need to do is turn my vision to Jesus. And then it's amazing how your body turns with that and your life turns with that. You turn your vision to the gospel and your life turns with that. I keep just going like, just turn yourself away from bad things. And instead I got to turn my gaze to the kingdom of God, to Jesus. He says, turn your vision to me and then you'll, you'll, you'll find yourself turning away from it. It's something we talk about sometimes, even like the overflow, right? We fill ourselves with the gospel and who Christ is, and it changes our actions and who we are and how we think. And so this gets us to the end of our passage here. V- vultures. It's a question you think, you, they ask him, so where, Lord, where is this kingdom? Where is this happening? Where, where can I go for this? And then he says this, you wonder, they go like, oh, he didn't hear, he didn't hear you right, ask him again. He mentions something about vultures. He replies, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Well, this passage, this, this really means where a, a body could be a dead body or corpse, a body is, there just birds of prey will gather. This is where, so where the body is is where the, the birds of prey will gather. I have to wonder, I don't know exactly, right? This is a passage that next week might change. I might go, oh, I bet he means this by vultures. (laughs) There's lots of thoughts on this passage. People think maybe this is him referring to like, you're ultimately gonna be dead. Just a reminder of them like, "You're, you're dead. Vultures, you're dead if you don't turn to me. I wonder though if he's pointing to a moment that's about to happen. He says where there's the body, this is where the birds will gather. It makes me wonder if he's talking even a little bit about this story that happened right before this. This is their story of the lepers. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. They called out, Jesus, master, have pity on us. They have leprosy, right? They're outcasts. They can't be with other people. They have to actually even yell to Jesus so he doesn't get too close to them. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So, he says, hey, go, go to the priests. Uh, he doesn't even explain to them what's gonna happen. And as they're walking to priests, they're healed. They're walking really to a, to a priest, which is to the like religious system that they have, right? One of them, when they saw, he was healed. So one of them notices, can you imagine that you're walking thinking, oh, cool, thanks, Jesus. I'll go meet a priest and that priest maybe will heal me. <laughs> He's walking to the thing he thinks is gonna heal him and bring life to him and bring him back into the community. And while he's walking, he realizes he has no more sores, that he's healed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He comes back to Jesus now yelling, but not yelling, have pity on me, now coming to worship him. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. He he wasn't even a, a Jew. He was a Samaritan. So he, he's healed and he goes back to the one he knows actually healed him, actually brings him back into the community. Now he actually touches Jesus, actually is with Jesus. He's in his midst. And Jesus says, you, we're, uh, we're not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I think of all all's happening there. Where, where are they? Did they go to this, these other people who didn't heal them? And praise them? They, they missed it. They missed coming to the one who actually brings the kingdom of God, who actually heals and actually changes them. I think this is what he's calling us to do. He's saying, there's, there's these great things in your life. You're eating and drinking and you're building and you're selling. And be careful, friends, because those things do not bring life. You can actually let go of those and your life will be preserved in me. Turn from those Turn your gaze to me and it will turn your body and your life to me. This happened to me recently in just a little moment, right? Remembering this moment of, of gathering around the body. This moment I wonder if he's, call, he's saying, hey, remember there's going to be a body, a, a body that should be crucified and put in a tomb and that body will rise from the dead. And that's the body we're going to gather around. That's the son of man. You don't even know what's about to happen. Who will die for your sins so that destruction will not come to you, but instead will come to this body. Destruction will not wipe out this city because this person will put their life on the line and will die for you. Jesus is going to be calling to them. There's going to be a moment you don't even know. Lightning, it's as if lightning crashes in the sky that I'm gonna actually die on a cross and be put in a tomb and I'm gonna raise from the dead, defeating death, and then gather around that body, that person, be in their midst. That's the thing that will actually bring you life. And that resurrection truth came to me just, just recently. Um, uh, I was driving in my car a few weeks ago. My dad was uh, in the hospital and uh, getting some surgery and he went, great, he's doing great. Um, but it was a moment for me that I was driving. I spent this spring driving often to my parents' house in Wisconsin because my mom was, was suffering from a stroke and was slowly dying. And so I spent many trips driving down there to see her. And so like just the action of that trip, all these emotions came up. I'm going now to see my another parent who's now ill, who's in the hospital again. And so all these emotions, the whole ride down, I'm kind of like feeling lots of things. Not kind of, very much, <laughs> lots of things. And I'm like teary, and I'm like trying to figure it out. And then all that's like, he's in the hospital, and how long will he be in there? And then how are we going to help take care of him? We live far away, and how does that work? And then I'm adding other things in my life at the same time. I'm getting texts from friends and things. So there's just the piling up of things that feel chaotic, that feel broken. And then I pull into the city. My brother, my brother calls me and says, hey, uh, I'm going to his house. He says, hey, stop at this. I heard this place has great pizza. Will you stop and get pizza at this place? I've never been there. Um, it's in this town, by their town. And so I pull off the interstate and it's the same exit that I used to pull off to go see my mom when she taught there. And so I pull off the exit to go into Pewaukee, Wisconsin. And I end up driving by the high school where my mom taught for many years. And if you could, and then I'm just like a mess. So I'm like crying enough that I can not see the road. It looks like it's raining to me, but it's not. It's my eyes. And so I'm driving, and I'm feeling all these things. And I'm like, I hate death, and I hate brokenness. And why is my dad in the hospital? And all these things are flooding over me. And this is broken that I'm not home right now, and my family's at home, and I'm not. And all these things. Is Frank playing with bubbles? I want to see that. I'm missing that. And all these things. I'm driving through, and winding through this town that's around these lakes, it's like beautiful and I'm just feel, I'm really feeling it. Like to a point where I'm like, I, I wonder if I should pull over because if I get in an accident and I have to explain to the officer like I was crying, that's why I hit this thing. And I turn a corner, I'm, I'm in kind of, there's like woods and I turn a corner and there's this little church on a hill in the middle of nowhere outside of Pewaukee, Wisconsin and all there is is a sign for the name of the church and it says Church of the Resurrection. And I like, now I lose it because like, it's like, I don't even know if that church is real, right? It's one of those things where you're like, is there a church there? Uh, because I, I drive by it and I remember the resurrection. Like God literally put a sign up. You know, like he literally put a sign on the road that says, resurrection, remember resurrection. Remember there is a body who died for your sins and died so this brokenness would be put to end one day and died so that death would not have power over you anymore remember that happened in that body rose from the dead his name's Jesus he's with you he's right in your midst and so then I start crying because now I'm just like overwhelmed how good the resurrection is I still feel like, right the suffering and the pain of those things but it changes everything I get to I go to pick up the pizza and the lady's like are you are you okay <laughs> so I'm sure my eyes are red and I'm all I was like yeah I'm actually very okay Church of the, Res- I remember the resurrection. It changed, it changes it in that moment. It changed my vision. It went from, this is all broken, this is bad. What's What's gonna happen in the, ne- in the next weeks, months? I'm so done with this. To change my vision. In a moment, I saw the sign, and I, was remembered of the re- I remember the resurrection, and it changed my vision, and it did, it did turn me. Not that those things weren't still terribly hard and aren't still hard, but it, changes, it changed me. Now, my, no longer is my preservation of life put in figuring those things out or just feeling terrible about those things. My, the preservation of my life is put in Christ and now I can actually walk through those things differently. All because I went by a sign. I did actually look at, it is actually a real church. It's not like an angelic moment where I had a vision of a church. It doesn't look like this actually, but I couldn't find a picture of it. Um, so what does it look like to turn our heads? That's what our hope is, as we gather each week, is that we gather here to continue to turn our vision towards the one that we actually literally gather around, the body, the body of of Christ. It's one of the things that we do here as we respond to the gospel. I'm gonna invite our worship team up. Um, As we respond to the gospel each week, we gather around in different ways. We gather to sing praises as our friend the leper did. Who's no longer the leper. We gather to sing and worship the God who is the one who's rescued us who has healed us. We gather to take communion. And Jesus actually encouraged us. He, he commanded us to say, gather around, break bread, and drink wine. We do that out in the hallway here. If you're a follower of Jesus, we'd love for you to be able to do that. You go and, and take a cracker and some grape juice It's to remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed. We actually gather around together in order to remember that. Again, we gather around his body. He says, gather around my body. To, to remember, to turn our vision to the one in the moment when everything changed. We do that through praying for each other, that we turn each other towards Jesus. We pray to him to be our healer and our resurrector. We have people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you. Each week we gather and have those people so that they could help pray for that. And maybe even you just need someone to help turn your head. Sometimes prayer does that for me. I need someone to like turn my gaze and, and often praying for me. We do that by responding even in giving and turning that this this is no longer, this isn't mine, this is God's money. And so I want to use it to help grow his kingdom. And so we're going to take an opportunity to respond in that way. Um, our communion this week, we do have stickers out there. So if you're a kid and you want to go with your family, we'd love to see your family gathered around communion together. You can stick a sticker on you to remember that good news that Christ has died and risen. We absolutely love that. As our worship team's here, there is something that, uh, uh, some art that reminds me of this moment. And I want us to kind of be able to participate together. This is a a painting by uh, Hubert and Jan van Eyck. anyone know? I was hoping the Van Ees were here. He would know. <laughs> For sure, he'd correct me if not. Uh, this is a very famous painting, The Adoration of the Mystic Lamb. And uh, uh, usually we just know this bottom painting. This is the one I, I, I often look to. Uh, actually, I think I've shown it before. It's this picture of a lamb. But if this is actually the whole work. It took them years to do this together. Um, and it's a picture of from Adam and Eve to all these. People throughout all of time, and from kings to peasants to sinners and saints, all gathered around, all looking to one thing. Literally gathered around the body of this image. This is an image of a lamb that's bleeding but standing up. It's this beautiful image that comes from Revelation. Look at all these people. There's a cross there. All the things that caused this lamb to bleed, they're all now gathered around angels. And sinners and saints and all people from all tribes worshiping this lamb who has been sacrificed but now stands, was dead and now stands. And this comes from Revelation 6. I just wanna read this to us. This is a picture of one day what it'll really look like to gather around this lamb, this body. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain but standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people, and they sang a new song. They gather around this body, this Lamb, who has been slain and now is alive, has rescued us. And they sing this song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Everybody, everybody you purchased. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. That's that's the kingdom of God. Then I looked and heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times. 10,000, that's a lot. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were all singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, everybody is gathered around. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praised and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped him. This is what we get to do every week. Come and be reminded of the one who does preserve us and turn from those things that we hope preserve us and don't. This is why we gather and what we need. To so I actually want to do this together. Everybody will stand up. We're going to start our time of worship here together. Um, we're going to read this together kind of as a creed, as a proclamation together to start our time of worship. A reminder, there's communion out in the hallway. There's people who want to pray for you. And we're going to sing a little bit together here and just praise. I'll start us off, but together, let's just read this as a proclamation of this good truth as we gather around Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God's persons every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne, And to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.